Society, the show that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed at networks but never produced and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. I'm Andrew Reich, the creator and co-host of Dead Pilot Society. This is our 50th Dead Pilot reading on the podcast. Kind of an amazing milestone when I think back to how this thing started. I'm sure I've talked about the beginnings of Dead Pilot Society on previous episodes, but some of you have to be new listeners, right? Uh... So there's a year when my former writing partner and I sold three pilots to networks and none of them got made. It was crushing. Uh, But I remember thinking that it wasn't so much I needed to have the hit show on the air. I mean, of course, that'd be great. But mostly I just wanted to hear these scripts that we'd worked so hard on read out loud by actors just one time. And, you know, there was one in particular. I just wanted to hear it read. So... It occurred to me that I could make that happen. So I called some friends and an eternal thank you to Molly Shannon, who was the first person I asked and the first one to say yes. You know, in fact, everyone I asked said yes. And I got two other writer friends, Ira Ungerleiter, Claudia Lanau, to give me their dead pilots to read. And then my friends uh, Matt and Mal and Mark uh, agreed to let us use their conference room at their production company, Arts and Sciences. So we got a taco truck, we got a shit ton of beer, we invited a whole bunch of friends and we called it Busted Pilots Club. Uh, that is until Matt Azelton uh, shouted out the name Dead Pilot Society. Um, I also, I invited Ben Blacker, who I'd never ever met in person, to that reading at the last minute because he was the only podcaster whose email I had. And I thought, hey, maybe this could be a podcast. So this, the spirit of that night was just let's have some fun and support each other and let's eliminate all the industry elements that can make the TV business really not fun. And that's stayed the spirit of Dead Pilot Society. Um, And it's a spirit that is definitely strong uh, with the writers of this episode's pilot. The pilot's Code 5 by Sandeep Parikh, Mel Cowan, and Ed Brubaker. Uh, Ed is a seven-time Eisner Award-winning comic book writer and cartoonist. Uh, I didn't get to interview Ed But I did get to talk to to Sandeep and Mel, who are writers and improvisers and entrepreneurial creators in the best sense. Uh, We talked about how to carve a path in this business by being a great collaborator and a great friend, um, by finding your group of friends that you like making stuff with and then just making stuff. Uh, This pilot is a cop show, and so we also talked about what the future of cop shows might look like. Um, uh, On an interesting note, for the third episode in a row, we're bringing you a pilot where another pilot with the exact same premise was sold at basically the same time. Completely coincidentally, uh, in this case, that other pilot, which became a show called uh, No Activity, we talk about that a bit. It just shows the frequency with which that happens. Anyway, we, uh, we of course had to record this over Zoom instead of live. I so miss the live Dead Pilot Society shows. Someday we'll get back to those. But we did this on Zoom 
And the visuals really add something. So I'll tell you what, look, if you want to watch this with the visuals, become a Max Fund member for just five bucks a month. Uh, go to maximumfund.org. You'll see where you can become a member there. You'll get access to the visuals instead of just the audio and all of our bonus content uh, from past years. I think we'll just start doing this, putting up um, putting up the video as well for our members. So, so think about that. So our cast for this one, uh, Sandeep read the stage directions. Uh, Asif Ali from Wrecked read Sam. Phil Lamar from Family Guy and Futurama and basically every other animated show read Triggs. Milana Weintraub from Love and This Is Us and of course the AT&T commercials. She read Rita and Jessica and Faye. John Ross Bowie from Speechless read Terrence. Janet Varney from Stan vs. Evil and You're the Worst read Dr. Krakowski. And Mel Cowan rounded out the cast reading The Old Woman, The Customer, Coil, The Clerk, The Security Guard, all read by Mel Cowan. So here is Code 5 written by Ed Brubaker, Sandeep Parikh, and Mel Cowan after a brief message. Hi, my name is Graham Clark, and I'm one half of the podcast Stop Podcasting Yourself, a show that we've recorded for many, many years. And uh, at the moment, instead of being in person, we're recording remotely, and uh, you wouldn't even notice. You don't even notice the lag. That's right, Graham. And uh, the great thing about uh, this... Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Okay. And okay, go ahead. And you can listen to us uh, every week on MaximumFun.org. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Your podcasts. All right. Well, without further ado, let's get into the script. Um, Code 5, Episode 1, Asymmetrical Neural Enhancement, written by Ed Brubaker, Mel Cowan, and Sundeep Parikh. Close on, a goateen Indian man... Wearing a tracksuit, he whips out a gun. This is Sam. Freeze, motherfuckers! Get your dicks in that glory hole to hell right now! Interior unmarked police car, late afternoon. Reveal that Sam is in the passenger seat of a late model Chevy Cavalier. His gun pointed at the windshield. Next to him is a bearded dude wearing a jacket and tie. This is Triggs. Both plainclothes cops. Better. It's getting better. Oh, really? You like it? Well, I like that it's concise, that you cut all that uh, Satan gives a teethy blowjob stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, it's really hard, you know, but you got to kill your babies, you know? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's still confusing, though, as a bust-in speech. The goal is to get the perps down. Exactly. Yeah. Point your dicks towards hell equals get on the ground. Triggs pulls up his binoculars while continuing the cr critique. Yeah, yeah, I get it. But the concern is that they may end up standing there for a while wondering about the physical location of this dick-sized hell vortex. And every added second is added danger. Vortex. You said, you said dick-sized danger. All right, got it. Um, you see anything? Triggs shakes his head. He reaches through a mess of coffee cups and fast food wrappers and grabs a CB radio mic. Show us code 5 no activity. And uh, Rita? Uh, Rita? Hold Rita. that thought. We're, 
What? Hold that thought. I, I, I forgot. Uh, Terrence texted while you were getting snacks. Uh, he's got into the Parker case. He's got info on it. Rita, we're <laughs> clocking back in. Okay, copy that. Wait, 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 wait. Terrence texted you? Why didn't he text me? He knows the protocol. He's been my CI for six years. Oh, I man. Did, did, I, uh, did I cross some line? Are you, are you not okay with me and Terrence hitting it off? Because we've hit it off. He's an informant, Sam. We got a way of doing things. Because we went into a rock climbing. It's good for your back. And I, I'd have invited you, but I, I didn't think you'd be down for... You, you went rock climbing? He can rock climb? Oh, he can't be. Yeah, we go on Tuesdays. He's shockingly agile for a heroin addict. Tuesdays? With an S? Did you file paperwork on these meetings, or are y'all just hanging out? I mean, Sam sits through his grocery bag. If, if you're jealous, you should just say so. Oh, he got me Twizzlers. I am not jealous, Sam. I'm not 12. Woo! An ice cream? Come on. Ah, that's for Linda. Don't touch that. Oh, no. Did she have a rough day? Yeah, she's been upset because I lost the comet she's tracking. Linda. And I said, it's just a big ball of ice, right? I know, I know, I know, I know. But, but I'm bringing home ice cream, so that'll fix it. Linda knows I was just... Linda! Linda. You're thinking about fucking my wife again, aren't you? You know what time it is? Oh, please, don't even say it. Honesty o'clock. Trig size. He hates this saying. Look, okay, yes. Yes, I'm interested in having sex with your wife, but that's not about you, Triggs. It's about who she is as a person, a super hot, thick person. Do you hear yourself ever? Like, I'd only go for Linda if you were dead, obviously. Like, if you got shot and there was no way to bring you back. Like, you're my partner, and I don't want to keep that from you. You can totally keep that from me. That would be fine. Look, I just want to help your already great marriage by making love to Linda when you're dead. You know, just continuing it. You know, I do like the idea that if I were KIA, you'd help pick up the pieces. I'd pick up those pieces. All right. Mm. Okay. See, now you're ruining it. Bling. Sam gets a text. Is that Terrence? What, do you want to go spinning or something? No. Celinda. Trig's face sours. We check in on Wednesdays. And cold open. Act one, exterior, fuck you, cafe, night. An outdoor patio of a cafe. Sam points a banana like it's a gun. He's finishing up his busting speech. Get your dicks in that glory hole to hell right now! I'm not gonna say it again! Reveal Terrence, 30s, British, thick East End accent, hip, is sitting with Triggs slurping a bowl of pho. You want, you want me to critique that? See, that's what I'm saying. You... Because I don't know how to critique perfection. Wait, what? It's like, oh, fuck, Satan's going to suck my dick. He's got fangs. And I, I had that in there before. Should, should I add that back in? Post haste, mon frere. <laughs> Satan's going to bite your dick off. You see, as a criminal, I would absolutely shit myself if I heard that. Triggs didn't like it, though. He didn't. Oh, what's wrong with it, Triggsy? 
Trigzy. Ooh, that's good. Can I call you Trigzy? Trigzy answers by slapping the banana out of Sam's hand. Okay. Can we get to the actual informing? Mm, patience, love. Uh, the address to the crank house hasn't quite appeared in my brain as of as of yet. Yeah, your heroin addled brain. Hey, Triggs, that's not cool. Okay. No, no, no. He's right. Uh, look, my, my recall abilities have diminished over the years. It's it, it's a bit like Alzheimer's. Except is heroin. Right, and I'm not going to stop that anytime soon. Am I? Which is why I've been utilizing asymmetrical neural enhancement. Oh, yeah. A-N-E. You sent me that BuzzFeed article. It's where you create new brain cells by doing things with the wrong hand, like uh, brushing your teeth. Or wanking. Yes, one part of A-N-E is using your non-dominant hand to do everyday activities. So your brain gets bigger if you jerk off with your other hand? What if I use both hands? And to be clear, that's because I have a huge dick. Well, you put the other hand on top and your, your brain will make new connections. Hmm. Sam works it out using a pepper grinder and switches right over left, left over right. <sighs> okay, I got melting ice cream. If you don't have an address, then I need to get out. Whoa, 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 wait, wait. Watch and learn, mates. Terrence dramatically switches his soup spoon from his right hand to his left. He slurps. Sam is entranced. Slurp. <sighs> We are literally watching a man eat soup. It's coming. It's coming. Wait. So I've got it. The address? Oh my God. No. No. Check, please. But I can lead us there. I can feel where it is. You trust me? Yes. Yes, I do. Yes, I trust you. Absolutely not. Cut to interior unmarked police car. Night. Triggs is in the driver's seat, Sam in the passenger, and Terrence is in the back. Road trip! Let's all say our favorite road snacks at the same time. I'll go first. One, two, three. Twizzlers! Granola <laughs> bar. Wait, can, can we just go? Hey, don't mind Triggs. Uh, he doesn't like that we bonded so quickly. Oh, doesn't know that love isn't finite and I have more than enough love for him as well. I don't love being talked about in the third person. We're great partners, but still working through some jealousy and trust issues. Yeah, says the guy who wants to fuck my wife. After you're dead. We've covered this. I said, after you're dead, I want to fuck your wife. You know, I actually, actually, these are often symptoms of a, of a deeper-seated control issue. It, totally. He can be a real, con honestly, he can be a real control freak. Triggs is delicately cleaning his glasses. He catches himself and puts them back on his face. I am not a control freak. Well, the solution is obvious. Well, yeah, but murdering you both would create way too much paperwork. Asymmetrical neural enhancement. You two need to switch up. Yeah. How, how about I drive for once, huh? Perfect. Absolutely not. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. I drive. I take care of the cop driving. Cop driving is different than real driving. It requires precision and experience. That's the way we do things in order to... To... To keep in control. <clears throat> Triggs stews at this. Moments later. Sam is in the driver's seat, driving now, and thrilled. 
Oh man, this feels good. Like I feel good. Triggs, what does my go-to look like from this side? Is it powerful? Triggs is in the passenger seat, uncomfortable as all hell. Hmm. He doesn't know where to put his hands. Triggs, I gotta say you look badass in the passenger seat. You're so in control, you don't have to be in control. I just, I just, I, 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 I don't know where to put my hands. I... Triggs opens the glove box and sticks his hands in there. Oh, hey, look, granola bars. <laughs> <laughs> the world looks totally different from over here. Look at the billboards. Triggs sips coffee, uh, sips from his coffee while holding a granola bar. I guess you can do different things if your hands are free. <laughs> Sam turns up the radio. It's Man on the Moon from R.E.M. It's our song. If you believe they put a man on the moon. Man on It's a jam. If you believe there's nothing out there to sneeze. Nothing is nothing cool. Is cool. Wait, nothing out there to sneeze? What? That is not the lyric. Vomit hits the side of Sam's face and splatters on the windshield. Oh, it's in my eyes. He wipes his he wipes at his face as Triggs turns to see Terrence belt around his arm, needle in his veins, uh, shaking and convulsing. Oh fuck! Fuck! He's ODing. Triggs scrambles into the back seat. Sam wipes puke off of his face with old napkin. Wait, wasn't he belt up? We were just Michael sniping with him. I don't know. Sam peels out. Interior unmarked police car night. Sam weaves through traffic, siren blaring as he wipes his face with a damp napkin. Most of the puke is gone now. This is why you don't make friends with a heroin addict. Hey, 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 you missed the turn. Sorry, I saw a barf in my eye. Turn left, here, hit left. Hospital is straight. We're taking him to Krakowski's. We go to the hospital, Terrence gets violated and we lose the lead on the case. Or he dies and we lose the lead on the case. I'm pulling rank, so just fucking drive. Whatever you say, Trixie. Don't call me that. It, it only works in a British accent. Oh, shit. Shit. His pulse sucks. Arby's on the left. Okay. Exterior, Arby's drive through night. The Cavalier bubble silent, uh, siren wailing screeches in reverse the wrong way into the drive through The driver of the car <clears throat> coming through the right way breaks hard. Sam flashes his badge at the very confused Arby's cashier, Jessica, early 20s, bright pink hair. He notes her name tag. Jessica? Hi, Jessica, we're police. We need a cup of ice. What size? The nearest size. Jessica takes a wide-eyed glance at the comatose Terrence in the back seat and fills a large cup with ice. Is he okay? Uh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Thank you. Sam, Sam grabs the cup and screeches back out into traffic. Exterior, exterior, unmarked police car, street, night. Sam cutting through traffic, Triggs yanks down, Terrence's pants exposing his ass. He grabs a handful of ice, and by the look on his face, he's doing something unspeakable. Uh, just a side note, this is actually what you do, or can be what, what you do when someone is ODing. You should be doing this. I should be cop driving, and you should be sticking ice cubes in the junkie's butthole. You know what? Actually, pull over. That's an order. Nope. Write me up. This is all your fault. How? If I'd been driving, I'd have kept my eye on him in the rear view. 
A badass firebird suddenly revs its engines in front of them. Hey, what the fuck is this guy doing? Everyone else is pulling over. The firebird makes a hard right. Sam also takes a hard right. Does he think we're chasing him? Tell him we're not chasing him. Sam switches the CB to, to the bullhorn. His voice blares. Guy in the firebird, we are not chasing you. I repeat, we are not chasing you. The firebird takes another hard turn. Take a left on Marathon. It's a shortcut on Vendome. Not if he's in the way. I'm cop driving, okay? I'll handle this with reason. Sam gets, the bu- gets on the bullhorn. Okay, sir, we just happen to be going the same way. Okay, we do not care what you did. Please do not take a left. The firebird takes a left. Okay, now he's just being a dick. Should have taken Marathon. No, this is accidental car chase. Does not mean that I should have taken Marathon. Triggs can't help himself. And with one hand shoving ice cubes into Terrence, Mime's holding the steering wheel. Are you air cop driving right now? Sam takes another hard turn, distracted by his mind. Triggs drops the ice, which spills all over the back seat. Oh, great. Now we need more ice. Nice cop driving. The guy in the firebird flips them off. Sam into the bullhorn. Again, still not chasing you. The firebird guns it, getting way out ahead. Don't turn right. Don't turn right. Oh, come on. The firebird turns right in the distance out of view. Crash. Sam pulls around the same corner to see the firebird crunched against the telephone pole. The driver, a skinny meth head, is already out on the ground, his hands behind his head, assuming that he's been caught. Sam slows as they pull past. Um, just, just stay right there. You're under arrest. We'll be back. <laughs> Sam gets on the CV to call it in while turning. Triggs finds an ice cube and inserts it, and Terrence, Terrence's eyes pop open. What in the fuck? Oh, it worked. He's awake. Terrence lurches forward, throws up again, and passes out. Oh, fuck me. He puked on the ice cream. End act one. Act two. Exterior strip mall, night. A quiet, standard suburban shopping center. Grocery store, Chinese food restaurant, nail salon, escrow place, etc. Sam screeches to a halt at the far end of the center. Interior pet hospital, night. Sam and Triggs carrying T- Terrence burst in, revealing that they were where they were going all along, a veterinarian's office. Two or three pet owners in the lobby, dogs barking. The nurse, Faye, 20s, jumps up to intercept. Uh, excuse me, you can't. It's all right, Faye. I know these guys. Wait, oh, Dr. Okay. Ilana Krakowski, mid-40s, calm, waves them to the back. They drag Terrence down the hall toward her. Interior examination room, night. Sam and Triggs look down at the sedated Terrence lying on the table, not meant for a human. His feet are hanging off the edge. Dr. Krakowski finishes pulling the top off the brightly colored scrubs uh, with animal prints over Terrence's torso. She takes Terrence's pulse. Okay, he's stable, but he'll be out for another couple hours. Couple hours? Isn't there something we can do? We could draw dicks on his face. Why do people always draw dicks on faces? Why is it never vaginas? Who are you, Georgia O'Keefe? Okay. Ter- Triggs handcuffs Terrence to the table just a little harder than he needs to. Dr. Krakowski raises an eyebrow. Okay. I gotta go get my wife another pint of ice cream. Sit tight. You still doing the ice cream thing when you're in trouble? You used to do that when we were together. Uh, it worked, didn't it? Define worked. 
Alana, when when you and Triggs used to bone. Um, okay, can you not get? Oh, why are you ashamed we used to bone? He speaks fondly of your bonings. Very like. I do not speak of our bonings. Look, why is everyone saying bone? Alana, I am not ashamed, but our relationship is classified information. You were in witness protection. It was an undercover operation. <laughs> Sam and Dr. Krakowski high five over that lame joke. Triggs rolls his eyes. Terrence, Terrence's phone beeps from inside his jacket. Triggs pulls it out. An alert on the phone reads, call parole officer, very important, before 8 p.m. God damn it. He's got to be awake before 8 p.m. to call his P.O. Could we wake him up, like, by, I don't know, putting a cigarette out on him or something? Jesus. Uh, no. Look, look, no, 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 look. I just don't want to see him get deported. These parole officers can be real dicks. I'm legitimately trying to help here. Sam and Dr. Krakowski shake their heads. All right, fine, fine, fine. Sam? Stay here and watch Terrence. Butter pecan. What? It's Linda's favorite flavor. Triggs slow burns. Hey, I, I'm legitimately trying to help here. It's too much for Triggs. He leaves Sam's Sam size. <sighs> oh, hey, Doc, is your front desk lady single? Exterior strip mall, night. Triggs fuming stalks down the strip mall breezeway past the Chinese restaurant, nail salon, curves gym, etc. Yeah, Triggs used to be crazy. Interior pet hospital, lobby, night. Sam sits with Faye at the front desk while she works. He plays with the kitten who sits on the desk and purrs. I've never really seen it, but before he got married, he would go undercover for like months at a time. Heard he got demoted for actually running guns. Apparently he was great at it. They called him the wildcat. Faye looks at, up at Sam with the kitten. Clancy has feline AIDS. Ah, oh, poor guy. How'd he get it? You don't tell me. That's why we don't share needles, right, buddy? Oh, that's the tricks we all heard about during Academy. Brilliant, instinctual, feral. Interior grocery store, night. Triggs, very much not looking like the wildcat, stands at the ice cream cooler, pouring over the selection. Oh, no butter pecan. A clerk saunters past, a sandwich in his hands, and looks up. Hey, 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 excuse me. Your butter pecan is my wife's favorite, apparently. Clerk glances at the same shelves Triggs has been looking at. Um, I don't think we have it. Could you go check the back? If it was in back, it'd be out here. The clerk stands there like a moron. Do you want me to check the back? And we see a touch of wildcat in his eyes. Interior, pet hospital, lobby, night. Sam continues. Yeah, so I'm learning a lot about being a good cop, though. You know, he really tries to do it the right way. Faye continues stapling. Interior grocery store, break room, night. Triggs ransacks the clerk's locker, tossing his belongings on the ground while the clerk stands, sheepishly letting it, letting it all happen. Sandwich still in his hand. He's taken his past and turned himself around. He's way better with people than he used to be. Triggs finds a sad little joint in the locker and sticks it in his pocket, shaking his head. As he walks past the clerk, he smacks the sandwich out of the, uh, the clerk's hand onto the ground. Interior nice pet sandwich. hospital lobby night. Sam continues. He's kind of like 
Krakowski, you know? She had a rough past, but she put all that dog fighting stuff behind her, you know? And Faye looks up for the first time. Wait, what, did you say dog fighting? Ooh, Sam realizes uh, uh, he might have fucked up. Um, yeah, no. Nah, she's just a, a cut. Man, she's a well-cut woman is what I, what I was trying to say. I mean, she wasn't, she wasn't running the dog fights. That's not, no. Uh, you out, of dog- nowhere, out of nowhere, an old woman customer is at, at the desk, a tiny chihuahua clutched in her arms. Cut man? Dog fighting? The other customers in the waiting room start buzzing. Sam holds up his badge calling for order. Hey, hey, people, people, it's not what you think, okay? Dr. Kukowski just took care of the dogs after the fight. She's a good person who worked for the Russian mafia for a little while. They were the assholes. Sam! What? Sam turns to see Dr. Krakowski looking horrified. The customers immediately start to file out. Wait, 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 wait. no, no, that, that's not, um, I don't. How could you? She starts packing up her stuff. You can't, you can't leave. <laughs> Guys, wait, I can explain. Triggs enters past the exiting customers, grocery bag in hand. She, uh, Dr. Krakowski turns on him, furious. Triggs. What? What, 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 what happened? Your bullshit partner just blew my whole cover. I'm screwed here. I'm sorry, bullshit partner. We just high-fived. He holds his hand up as if to remind her. She pushes it down into his face. He ratted me out. I was adding color to an anecdote. Triggs sees an opportunity here to get control back. Alana, let's calm down. Yes, Sam is a bullshit partner on occasion. But you and I have history, and that means something, right? Look, 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 look. I can fix this, all right? Just just take a breath. Alana takes a breath. Sam, for once, is quiet. Good, good. He opens up his grocery bag. You want some ice cream? Ooh, wrong move. Dr. Krakowski's eyes fill with rage. Exterior strip mall parking lot. Moments later, Sam and Triggs, carrying a still limp Terrence and his clothes, stumble towards their car in mid-argument. Triggs' lip is bleeding. Terrence now has an expertly drawn vagina on his forehead, uh, like a graphic third eye. She drew the shit out of that vagina. I mean, look at that thing. You can, I mean, don't get lost in that. No, you look at this. This is why we have protocol. This is why we keep our mouths shut. This is why being open all the time is a bad fucking idea. Look at my mouth. You're the one she hit. They drape Terrence over the hood of the car as Sam fumbles for the keys. Yeah, you enraged my ex-girlfriend, then set her loose on me. Yeah, I fucking noticed that. Hey, you want to come home and get my wife to stab me? Dr. Kraskowski comes out of the office holding Triggs' ice cream. Hey, assholes, you forgot this. He hurls the ice cream at them. They duck and it splatters all over the windshield of their car. Sam takes a sample of the ice cream with his finger. Rocky Road, dude, that's not even in her top 10. Triggs is breathing heavy now. He looks up to the sky and lets out a warrior scream. No! Wildcat. End of act two. Act three, exterior strip mall parking lot, night. Sam and Triggs plop Terrence in the back seat of the Chevy. He stirs a little grumbling. Sam tosses his clothes in after him and Terrence's cell phone falls out. Shit, it's almost eight. Terrence has to call his PO right now or they'll violate him. 
<laughs> Sam jumps in the back seat and yanks Terrence up. Terrence, Terrence, buddy, wake up. You got to make a phone call. Terrence, 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 wake up. You got to make a phone call. Terrence, you're your phone call. I'm a, I'm a your phone, phone call. call. Your phone call. Hey, I'm a what, phone forget, call. Forget it. Sam, forget it. He's out here. Give me his phone. I'm gonna call the PO and pretend to be Terrence. Sam jumps out of the car, dropping Terrence back into the seat with a thump. No, I'll do it. I've got a better British accent and I'm the better friend. No, I'm the better friend. Also, what the fuck is that? Where are you supposed to be from, mate? I'm from London. Cheerio, pip, pip, Ricky Gervais, original office. You're just saying the names of people from England, you tosser. He scrolls through Terrence's phone quickly and dials. Sam tries to get close to the phone. Fuck off, you blatant wanker. I'm getting into character. Interior parole, parole office night. Coyle, Terrence's parole officer, 40s bald, picks up the phone. Coyle. Oi. Strip mall night. We intercut. This is Terrence. Uh, uh, Terrence. And he realizes he doesn't know Terrence's last name, but Sam does and tries to grab the phone. Smite! Terrence Smite! Uh-huh. Smite. Current address. Briggs looks at Sam, who looks like he's not going to remember it, but then... 1404 Fenwood, bruv. Still in that bloody rat trap in Koreatown. Triggs, Triggs nods relieved and then uh, and tries to take back over. Yeah, just phoning in, uh, making a, a check-in as per the terms of my parole. Sam squeezes in close. Triggs tries to shove him away, but can't quite get him. Doing quite well. Thank you very much. Yeah, all's ten bells. That's well in Cockney slang. I've been... Making know. good decisions, staying clean. Have you heard of asymmetrical neuron? Ah, uh, you don't want to hear about that, mate. Little bollocks about making your brain bigger by way of wanking. <laughs> stupid, really. It's not stupid if you're really closed off emotionally, you know, like a borders bookstore. Empty, liquidated. Anyway. He shoves so. that away. I'm all checked in then. Triggs gets no response. He and Sam wait. <laughs> Back to the parole office. Night. Coyle is working on a crossword puzzle, barely paying attention. The phone sits next to him. He hasn't been listening to any of this. Exterior strip mall, parking lot, night. Back to Triggs and Sam on the phone. They're confused. So, uh, I'll talk to you soon. After a long beat. Check in tomorrow, 4 p.m. sharp. All right, cheers. Triggs hangs up, still slightly confused. It worked. <laughs> Flawless teamwork. Did you hear that accent? <laughs> Interior car, continuous. Sam and Triggs are outside and have their backs to the car so they don't see as Terrence wakes up. Hey, hey, man. Um, good job of knowing that shit. Hey, man, it wouldn't have worked if you didn't have a killer accent that I could draw from. You sounded like a fucking butler, dude. <laughs> yeah, well, I watched a lot of Masterpiece Theater as a kid. 
you know. Oh, hello, sir, what's this? And uh, the original Doctor Who? <laughs> the Doctor. I'm thirsty for some tea, please. <laughs> Put a lemon hey, in now, it. What's all this in? Hey, you want to watch football? And the riffing continues. Uh, Terrence, still woozy from all the drugs pumped in and out of his system, uh, he looks out of his car window, confused, seeing Triggs yelling in uh, Sir Ben Kingsley's voice at Sam, and Sam just laughs in slow motion. He looks around and sees the side door hanging wide open. Exterior strip mall parking lot, continuous. Sam and Triggs are laughing and they don't see Terrence get out of the car and stumble back towards Dr. Krakowski's office. <laughs> oh, it's like you were in control with the PO, but also in the flow of the moment. Good shit, dude. You're like a genius. Hey, 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 hey. You know what? I never said this earlier, but you did a great job cop driving. Wow. Oh, man, I, that... that... That means a lot. It really does. Interrupting this genuine moment behind them, Faye exits as Dr. Krakowski's, Dr. Krakowski's office, carrying Clancy the AIDS cat. Terrence inexplicably grabs the cat from her and sprints away. They break into a run after him. Terrence veers into the Chinese food restaurant. Sam and Triggs hear screams from inside. All right, these next scenes all move fast. It's a seamless chase scene through a strip mall of shops. Interior Chinese food restaurant, night. Sam and Triggs explode from the front door of the restaurant, which is already in chaos from Terrence's entrance. The waiters and patrons point towards the kitchen. Kitchen. Sam and Triggs burst in just as the back door closes. Exterior back alley, night. They exit, only to see Terrence disappearing into the back door of the nail salon next door. Interior nail salon. Fluorescent lit anarchy. Several Korean women are shouting angrily. Sam and Triggs see Ter Terrence tear out the front door. Sam looks down at an incredibly old woman who has her feet in a tub full of tiny fish. Interior curves dim night. A few ladies doing Zumba. Terrence runs past them, weaving like a running back. Sam and Triggs follow. Terrence tips over a shelf of exercise balls in front of Triggs and Sam and, and uh, Triggs and Sam and escapes out the back door. Interior grocery store, night. Triggs and Sam enter the back door at full speed, now gasping for air. Patrons are uh, cowering behind their carts. A baby is crying. An Armenian butcher is yelling. Help, they're trying to kill me. Sam and Triggs split up and tear through the aisles. Frozen section. Sam rounds the corner fast, but without hesitation, he grabs a pint of ice cream from the cooler and keeps running. Jerry aisle. Triggs turns the corner. Clancy is licking a bottle of spilled milk, and Triggs deftly scoops him up and keeps running. In front of the store moments later, without breaking stride, Sam and Triggs meet near the shelf. Checkout stand. Clancy leaps out of Triggs' arms into Sam's, and Sam tosses the ice cream into Triggs, who catches it. It is a glorious exchange. Magically, it's a pint of butter pecan that he somehow found. Triggs is amazed that Sam found that perfect ice cream. Security guard, a security guard tries to stop them. Stop, please. No. Sam shoves a $10 bill in the security guard's hand and passes off the cat to her at the same time. Exterior strip mall moments later. Extremely wide shot. Terrence is nowhere to be seen. The guys run around the parking lot, unable to commit to a direction. Where is he? Do you see him? Terrence! Sam finds Terrence's scrubs on the ground, laid out like he melted out of them. He's disappeared, Triggs. He's vanished. No, he just took his clothes off. Oh, maybe. 
It's your unmarked police car night. The Chevy rolls slowly down the road. Triggs is driving while Sam scans the tree line with a searchlight. He's going to get picked up. He's, he's going to get picked up and deported, man. I, 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 don't, I don't know what, what we're going to do. Yeah, come on, come on, come on, relax. He could have gotten far with those tender little British feet. Yeah, but he's been crushing that A&E stuff. That's why he was so fast. That stuff is bullshit. It's a coincidence. No, 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 no. That's what, that's why, that's why, that's why, that's what got us into this. And, and it's what's going to get us out. You got You got to let me drive again, man. No fucking way. Absolutely not. You fucked up enough for one day. Sam is about to put up more of a fight, but he relents. He slumps in his seat. You're right. I can't believe I spouted off about Krakowski like that. Sometimes it's like I'm saying something. I can see how dumb it is. I'm saying it out loud. It's not a great quality for a cop. I'm a bullshit partner. Briggs hits the brakes. He exhales. What are you doing? Let's go. You're driving. Triggs opens the door and gets out. Sam giddily slides over. Triggs shuts his door and <laughs> Sam shuts his door. <laughs> this is so fucking awesome. Another door shuts. Reveal Terrence naked, settling down. Georgia O'Keefe vagina on his forehead, still intact. Uh, thanks for stopping. I've been following you guys for a while. Silence and awe. Terrence looks back and forth between them, still trying to figure out why they're so quiet. They ignore him. We're kind of the best partners ever, right? Briggs doesn't reply, but his face allows for the possibility that they are, in fact, the best partners ever. Do you have any snacks? My blood crush pressure is just crashing. Mm. Here. Cheers. Just uh, FYI, you got a pussy on your face. Big one. End of act three. <laughs> Tag, interior unmarked police car, day. It's another day, another stakeout. Triggs and Sam look out the windshield, their hands poised on their shoulder, holsters. One, two, three. They whip out their guns. Get in the dog pound, motherfuckers! You're in the dog pound now! Woof, woof! <laughs> That's... Fun. You like that? I, I just I just felt like saying that in the moment. Yeah. Oh, wait. Wait, they're the dogs. If we bark, then Yeah, no, no. I'm now that I'm hearing it, it's confusing. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? You know oh, fuck it. It's like you're mocking them. <gasps> woof woof. Woof <laughs> woof. <laughs> Triggs grabs the radio as Sam rehearses. Show us code five. No activity. And then the show No Activity becomes a real show and this one doesn't. The end. <laughs> Dead Pilot Society is sponsored in part by Curiosity Stream. What's Curiosity Stream, you might ask? Well, it's like Netflix for documentaries. It's a streaming service, but it's a very special one. It's a streaming service it's got thousands of documentaries and nonfiction TV shows on topics like food and sports and history, uh, nature. Uh, the, you know, one of the first things I watched on Curiosity Stream is this incredible documentary called The Kingdom, which is about fungi or fungi or fungi. Uh, there are scientists that call it all three things um, in this documentary. So fascinating. So fascinating. Uh, I think 
Next, I'm going to watch Rent-A-Family, which is about that thing. I don't know if you, anyone read the New Yorker article about this thing in Japan where you can rent family members. Seems incredibly fascinating. There's some really cool sports documentaries on there. There's a whole series on the history of food. There's one on the history of Europe. I mean, there's endless things. Um, they've got exclusive programs featuring David Attenborough, Stephen Hawking, Nick Offerman, Chris Hadfield. Uh, you can stream all of these things from your TV, your phone, your tablet, your computer. Uh, if you're listening to this show, you're probably a curious person. You're interested in lots of things, not just uh, television comedy and the writing process. And if you are a writer, I know a lot of writers uh, listen to this. It, as a writer, you have to be constantly filling your brain with new information. So you have new things to write about. Who knows where these things will come in handy. Curiosity Stream has just a practically endless uh, amount of documentaries and nonfiction TV shows for you to watch. And here's the great thing. If you go to curiositystream.com slash deadpilots uh, or uh, use the code deadpilots to sign up, it costs you $14.99 for the whole year. That's not $14.99 a month. It's $14.99 for the whole year. So come on, for 15 bucks, uh, thousands of documentaries. Maybe you've got kids at home and you're, you know, you're doing school at home. There's gonna be something on some subject that they are studying that's gonna be on CuriosityStream. It's really cool. Uh, so go to curiositystream.com slash deadpilots. Hey, you like movies? What about coming up with movie ideas over the course of an hour? Because that's what we do every week on Story Break, a writer's room podcast where three Hollywood professionals have an hour to come up with a pitch for a movie or TV show based off of totally zany prompts. Like that time we reimagined Star Wars based on our phone's autocomplete. Luke Skywalker is a family man and it's Star Wars, but it's a good idea. Okay, how about that time we broke the story of a bunch of Disney Channel original movies based solely on the title and the poster? Okay, Sarah Hyland is a 50-foot woman. Let's just go with it, guys. Okay, or the time we finally cracked the Adobe Photoshop feature film. Stamp tool is your Woody, and then the autofill oh, is the new Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> Join us as we have a good time at matching all the movies Hollywood is too cowardly to make. Story Break comes out every Thursday on Maximum Fun. I don't know why I'm using this voice now. Here with Mel Cowan and Sandeep Parikh. Do you guys want to just say hi so we can know whose voice is whose? Hi, this is Mel. Hi, this is Sandeep. Do our voices sound different enough? They really, they're, they're quite different. Um, okay, good. Fantastic. So that, that's a good thing. Um, I, this is exciting because I've only gotten to know you guys very briefly doing the read. I hear nothing but amazing things about how great both of you guys are, which makes me suspicious. So, you know, we'll, we're going to find out. But uh, thanks for doing this. Um, and since I don't know you guys, I just I want to uh, I I hear your stories, how you guys met, uh, how this came about. Uh, who wants to start? Sandeep does. Right. <laughs> was that Mel's voice or my voice? I can't tell the difference. I, who, who uh, We're basically the same person. <laughs> um, no, no, you, you, you're kind of the genesis sure. of, of the project. Uh, uh, so take it away. I'll start. Um, well, first, thank you for having us. Second, whoever's telling you that we're amazing, could you just send us a list of those people? Because I don't know. I would love to... You know, just follow up who those people are. Yeah, I just love to hear them doting on us for a I while. Will. That'd it's be a long list. It's weird. It's weird. <laughs> Amazing. Um, that's very kind of you to say, uh, to lie about. But um, we, so Mel and I were an arranged marriage mm -hmm. um, following my Indian traditions uh, <laughs> via, via Ed Brubaker, who was um, 
co-creator on on Code Five and was sort of the uh, uh, co-instigator of this of of this project with me. Um, but uh, you know, so basically, Ed and I were playing video games at his house, um, partaking in uh, snacks. Snacks, lots of snacks. Thank you. M- munching a lot, mm-hmm. and um, code for smoking weed. They were they were high. <laughs> we were really they high. were smoking yeah. marijuana. Um, it's legal, so it's okay to say that. Yeah, right? it's fine. Uh, anyway, we uh, I, we were just talking about you know he he had been a fan of the guild, and uh, I'm of course a fan of his stuff, and you know we were just chatting about like what could we do, shoot something together something on the cheap and he's like oh i've always had this idea of like just two cops on this forever stakeout and you never know what the stakeout is about but it's really just about them like bantering and shooting the shit and you know it's sort of about hours you know two through eight when you know before the the bust or anything cool happens and you know after the premise of, of why they're doing the stakeout and i was like oh that sounds imminently shootable uh you know, I was like, that sounds like something we can do in a driveway. And um, with, you know, we just need some good improvisers. Um, so I cast myself. And, <laughs> uh, and he was like, you know, I, I have the perfect guy for you, uh, Mel, uh, Mel Cowan. And um, you just, you just got to meet him. You'll, you, you guys will hit it off. He's, you know, he's like, he's been on Parks and Rec. And he's talking him up. Probably one of those guys who talks, says amazing things about him. And uh, we just had a meeting. And the meeting was almost like, what we were already like, it was already like a yes before. It was like predetermined. And that's why I felt like an arranged marriage. It was like, sort of like, we're not going to say no to this. Ed, Ed loves Mel. Um, we, we riffed at the meeting. It was pretty immediate, right? Like, I feel like we just started jumping on ideas together and yeah, bringing, and it was yeah, like. Yeah, absolutely. It, it felt yeah. like the characters um, came very naturally out of literally, yeah. Like I, I, I think we ate at that, the cube, there's like a, a Cuban or Mexican restaurant on sunset. We were just bullshitting and it kind of immediately just started, it started happening. And yeah, so I met Ed via, uh, via mutual friends and, uh, um, we it's kind of kind of same thing just just uh i was a huge huge fan of of, of his work and uh um for those who don't know can you just give us the, the quick little recap on it yeah yeah so, so ed brubaker is an eisner award i think multi eisner award winning uh comic book writer uh and uh screenwriter as well uh he's written uh books like criminal his new one uh is called pulp uh i think uh Cruel Summer is also out. Um, uh, he's 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 uh, he's fantastic, and he was also a uh, a co EP on the first season of Westworld, uh, and then co created uh, and wrote all the episodes uh, for um, Too Old to Die Young with Nicholas Winding Refn. Did I get that title right? Too old I think to die so. Young. To, yes, yeah, uh, uh, super talented guy uh, uh, and and uh, a sweetheart to boot. Uh, uh, we're 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 lucky to to have gotten to work with him, and uh, so yeah, yeah, we the it, everything kind of started from from that initial uh, snack session. Um, the two of us got together, and uh, um, it it all seemed to come together fairly quickly. That like we then had a. Uh, a, a handful, like I'm gonna say, like four or five 
kind of bullshit sessions where we got together, uh, uh, Ed, um, another, uh, another great comic writer, Jerry Duggan. Um, uh, was anybody else that I'm, that I'm missing kind of, kind of like co-conspirators at those early? Um, my ex Josie was there too. Uh, Josie Cavdoy and uh, we were all kind of in a room together like our writer's room was my apartment I think and we just um, we yeah met a few times and threw some ideas at the wall started structuring sort of outlines for the episodes we didn't really write scripts it was just it was kind of like curb enthusiasm improvisational format Um, we just sort of beat it out concepts and ideas for what we wanted to hit and, and we're using concepts and ideas very loosely because it was like, what if yeah. this thing happened? Okay, great. Then we're like, the, like, uh, okay, so what if a bee is in the car? Okay, great. Yeah, that 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 works. Uh, I was like, what, yeah, what what if Sam really has to masturbate? Like, he just can't not. He just like, I. It's been so long. I'm sorry. I'm on a schedule. Like, what if he really? It's just like dumb right. ideas. Those super and high concept. Eyebrow. Really, really yeah, smart. Fair, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. So, so, so let's back up just even before this. So both of you, so Mel, I know you're, you come out of a UCB from way yeah. back. Yeah. Um, so, and so you're both, and Sundeep, you, you also, you see me, you're both improvisers. Yeah, I, I I went to a tiny black box theater called the Empty Stage, which doesn't which sort of predates UCB, um, and um, yeah, I'm some a uh, bit of more of a dinosaur, but I've performed there a lot. I just didn't want to spend the money to relearn improv. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just, it wasn't it wasn't <laughs> worth it to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and yeah, Mel would have been my teacher, and at that point, <laughs> it would have been it would have been lame. Uh, it would have been embarrassing for, for me and a waste of time for him. Uh, um, yeah. And I, I had not done uh, improv before I started, uh, but I, I got lucky in that I, I was here right when UCB LA opened. Uh, um, like I, I think I took my first class in October. They'd open in June. Um, so I was, I was just there um, right at the, right at the jump and then just kind of hung around and like, like black mold, they couldn't get rid of me. Uh, and, uh, um, we got, like, got on a house team sort of quick and, and, uh, um, eventually taught there for, for a little bit. And I'd been doing, I, I, I just before that, um, I went to film school at UT Austin. I uh, came out here in 2002, did dumb sketch comedy with first with people uh, that I'd gone to school with. Uh, and then, uh, I started a group, um, that actually, uh, Bill Hader was in, um, kind of before he was on, on SNL. And actually, uh, um, you made Bill Hader. I had truly nothing to do. With <laughs> I was a dead weight around his ankles. Oh, okay, you 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 were you were holding him I back. He was even more trying, famous earlier. Yeah, 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 I was actively trying to destroy him, and somehow he rose above my best wow. efforts. Uh, um, yes, yeah, mean, but actually, Bill. So that 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 is only relevant because uh, Bill was the mutual, mutual friend. Uh, um, Bill and, and Ed had become friends, uh, and one time I, I like the I, I got to go visit SNL and met Ed and actually Matt Fraction and Brian Michael Bendis uh, um, backstage. Oof. Yeah, that's it was, amazing. It was, it was great, <laughs> and then got to uh, uh, actually. Got that's like the comic book equivalent of just like walking to a room full of like supermodels. It was nerd. Yeah, right. Yes. And, like, yes. and I was one hundred percent one hundred percent not okay. Like I was not cool about it. I yeah. Uh, I, I think I also had like a really bad cold, so I was like full of cold medicine. And I'm pretty oh. sure, like at, at some point, I was definitely like close talking to Fraction about 
Iron Man, and uh, he was nice enough not to like throat punch me to get me away from him. And <laughs> we we actually I actually ended up uh, working with Fraction as well on on a on a script. He he was a, a huge huge help in developing this other thing that actually uh, got me my agent. Uh, um, so a weir- weirdly, a lot of stuff ties back to to that meeting. That, that one, that one uh, night in yeah. that one night in New York, where I was so full of cold medicine I could barely stand. Amazing. So that pathway from improv to, to writing, which is you know in comedy is a fairly you know common one. How did it work with with each of you in terms of you know what what came first when you started doing improv? Had you already been writing? Did the writing come out of just putting together sketches, or you know what was the order of things? I'll go because you talked a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, <laughs> I so improv for me was a way to. Uh, so I, I came out to LA to be a to, to be a director because I was like, if M Night can do it, and he's Indian, so can I. Uh, I had no idea what it would mean to be a director, other than it sounded like they were in charge. So, <laughs> um, and you were coming I, from where? Uh, so I I came from the East coast. I born and raised in New Hampshire, went to school in Providence, Rhode Island and, um, came out to LA, uh, in the early aughts. And, um, yeah. So I thought, Hey, if I'm going to be able to direct actors, then I should probably know what it feels like to be an actor, uh, myself and to, uh, yeah, it's kind of put myself out there. So I just started taking it. I literally came out with very little in my pocket and was, and just typed free improv class into, <laughs> into Google and found the empty stage. And that's where I sort of cut my teeth for six or so years, um, studying improv. And then from there, you know, I mean, there was just a lot of great people that came through those doors, Jake Hogan, Scott Wainio, Conan O'Brien was in, dropped in once in a while. And so just, you're just around the culture of, writers um, realizing that, oh, okay, if I'm going to be a director, I probably should also become a writer um, and find my voice in that and uh, that way as well. Um, and yeah, from there, I think just some sort of similar found a, a sort of crew of folks that I really got on with on the stage and were like, hey, let's start writing sketches together and um, started making stuff for Channel 101. Um, which is Dan Harmon and Rob Schraub's uh, sort of monthly um, festival, uh, shorts festival, for lack of a better way of describing that crazy thing. But it's like, it is where like Justin Roiland came out of and um, a, lot, a lot of really good creators um, sort of cut their teeth there. And so that, that, that's kind of how I got my start from there, sold a show, a web, a web show um, to Comedy Central, The Legend of Neil which was really the first time I got paid to write something and to write a series, did three seasons of that, got agents from there and then just have been, you know, uh, vacillating between being a professional writer and unemployed to this day. (laughs) Um, And while while we're with you, Sandeep, do you want to, can you talk a little bit about F and funny and what that is and how that started? Yeah, so F and Funny started out as just a way for me to entrench myself in the comedy scene. Um, I was too chicken shit to do my own stand-up, so I thought, hey, why don't I use my skills, which are two cameras that I bought, 
to film other standups and like edit their material and post it on, on YouTube. Um, you know, obviously with their consent, uh, the idea that sort of a rising tide will help, will float all boats kind of thing. Um, and that, and that show, it was just like a, a, a monthly show that we did at the empty stage and it started getting some notoriety. People really loved doing our show. Um, we got, ended up getting Maria Bamford, Daniel Tosh, um, TJ Miller, like all those Chicago guys came through our doors at one point. Um, uh, yeah, it, it sort of kind of took off from there. Um, then that company, th then I started getting work as an actual uh, creator, you know, Legend of Neil and Save the Supers and some other stuff that I did. It's all digital series. And so the company sort of shifted focus because the company was really just me with two cameras. Um, so I was like, I should start doing this stuff. Um, and then I've, since then, I've done a bunch of interactive shows, um, which are uh, series that you can actually play. You make choices for the characters. Um, did two series for, for Echo. Um, one called That Moment When and one called Wizard School Dropout um, and has become sort of now F and Bunny is kind of a little bit more of a legit company. I have a head of development on board um, and we're developing um, shows. Our, our big goal right now is um, our sort of main focus is underrepresented uh, writers, creators and actors and finding ways to you know, finding new voices um, that you don't see on the screen and and finding shows that we're really passionate about, packing them up and, and, and trying to sell them. And of course, it's really tough during a pandemic when everything is shut down, but that is, uh, we're still, uh, still hustling at, at, at that and um, sort of making some headway there. So that's, that's where effing funny lies right now. It's, um, uh, it's uh, become more of a beast than, than it was uh, back in the, the 2006 when I just started this guy. So, yeah. Cool. Um, and then some else. So, so you're doing UCB. Were you writing right away once you, you started there? Or when did the writing kick in for you? Uh, so interesting enough, it, uh, hearing Sandeep kind of track his, his thing, it's almost the same thing. Like I, I, I went to film school, was absolutely going to be a director despite M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> uh, um, a non-Indian uh, can make it in this town. That's a, you know right. what? I was going to prove that a non-Indian <laughs> director could make it big. Uh, uh, and uh, if anything, I have proved uh, myself wrong again. Uh, should have been Indian. I always yeah, told you. Look, I've been, I've been saying blew that. that. Should have been Indian. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I came out writer director being being the plan. Uh, yeah, started doing uh, just just dumb sketch videos. Uh, um, the the group I, I had with Bill uh, was was kind of live. We we, we try to do kind of live and uh, uh, stuff that would have been online, um, but we prim primarily focused on on the like uh, almost we try we try we try to make every show a, a, a spectacle. You know, uh, we we were actually doing shows. Um, not even in a theater, we were doing them in uh, a friend's backyard. Um, and uh, the first one we did, we had 250 people show up in for a, for a, you know, a backyard. So it, it felt kind of, and this makes me, this sounds like me trying to be cooler than I am, which is not cool, but it was kind of a punk rock vibe. Like it, it, it felt like a, like a, like an underground kind of thing. We were very like, you know, we're not going to do showcases. We didn't, know what that meant and it, uh, but at some point i decided like no man we're not doing showcases we're doing backyard shows uh, uh which is 
there's it would have been very helpful to have been at an actual theater now in retrospect um <laughs> but it was very fun and uh uh so then actually at at one of those shows uh um bill got spotted you know uh and and so that that snowballed into him uh getting uh, on the show we actually got uh, the the sketch group actually got to go do his audition with him like because I, I, I don't if you don't know how snl typically works they a, a lot of people will are you know are from, from the stand-up world or whatever and they will generally do what you know a, a sort of solo showcase uh, um and uh he was like i don't really have a stand-up set or anything he's like well what, what do you what do you have he's like well i got these three assholes that I'm in a sketch group with. So they're like, all right, come out. And they, they, uh, for first we did a show at, uh, the comedy central stage here. Uh, and of course that was like, we packed all our friends in there. It was totally cheating. Uh, um, but it was fun. And they're like, okay, we don't really believe we did meet Lauren Michaels there. Uh, uh, and, uh, um, I, I, I asked him afterwards, uh, did you have fun? And I got a very Lauren Michaels response, which was, it, it doesn't matter if, I had fun. It looked like you were having fun, which was like it's the worst. It's the fuck, worst comment to receive you, after a show. Fuck you. But also awesome. That's so Lord Michaels. <laughs> yeah. So Lord Michaels. It didn't matter. Uh, um, but so then we did, we, we did that, uh, that show again. I, I have never hired you, but I'm pre-firing you. I'm pre-firing <laughs> you. And he had a big bowl of popcorn with him. I mean, it was, it was, it was perfect. I, I, I feel like I got, I got a Lauren Michaels experience and sure. I'll never see him again. Uh, but then we did, we did that show again uh, in New York. Uh, um, Bill got on the show. So as he was leaving, uh, um, UCB was start like was starting, and I had never I I didn't really know anything about improv. I I hadn't grown up doing short form, and the stuff I the the stuff I'd seen was short form. And a lot of times I was like, this kind of sucks. It's like it's like I just hadn't seen I hadn't seen good short form, so it wasn't something I was interested in. Uh, then I saw a long form show, fell in love. Uh, uh, kind of immediately, I, my my one on one teacher was John Ross Bowie, uh, who. Uh, it was on the the um, uh, uh, played Terrence uh, in in the uh, in the pilot that you heard, and has also done so many amazing things. And he really like kind of flipped the switch for me in terms of of improvising. So long went away saying I came in starting as a writer director, found improv, and kind of fell backwards into being a performer. And because I was a weird looking guy who had a mustache, like I ended up getting commercials and getting on parks and rec and shit like that. But it, but it, uh, uh, and I, and I do really, uh, you know, bits aside, like credit, uh, a lot of the skills I have now to learning what I did, you know, uh, on, on, at the UCB stage. I will reveal, I will reveal that John Ross Bowie is one of the people who said <laughs> things about you. Great. Great. Uh, that's good to hear. Um, so you guys have mostly, Correct me if I'm wrong, Sandy, but it certainly seems true for you. you. You've mostly worked in this sort of digital, you know, universe um, of content rather than, you know, certainly, you know, the broadcast networks or even some of the, you know, the bigger streaming channels, correct? Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. what's the difference anymore? I'm curious, you know, about, yeah. you know, what you're, you know, on this, on the podcast, we have lots of people who are, you know, more old school, like me, who came up in, in a more limited universe, who, you know, who are used to just dealing with the big players and, and that kind of thing. And, 
not, you know, you guys have, have had a much different path. And I'm wondering like how you see it all, how you see the whole sort of universe. You know, it, yeah. You know, I, I think my path was always like, what's the shortest distance to getting something made. And, um, I'm not saying that that was a better path by any means. Not a day goes by that I don't live with regret for my entire life. <laughs> um, but we're all, we're moments, all deeply, deeply broken inside and trying to oh, fill, fill, fill the hole that we have created for ourselves. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, like like that. That's a that's a given. Yeah. But go ahead. So uh, off of that, um, off of that despair. Um, I, I, it just always felt like I just wanted to be making stuff. And, and, and so, you know, I just kept falling into places that the, the path of the least resistance to do so. So if it was like channel one one just shoot stuff on your own. If it was, uh, you know, Comedy Central was like, hey, you want to make a digital series for us? And I was like, sure, you'll give me money to make a series. Yeah, whatever it is. And they were like, we'll give you $50,000 to make like an, an absurd amount of content that to today, you know, like that would be like the catering budget if you're lucky for an episode <laughs> of, of Parks and Rec or whatever. Um, but at the time was like, yes, I'll, I'll do, I'll do absolutely anything. And I felt like that was the path towards controlling my destiny really. Um, so it's not necessarily by design that I was like, Oh, I only want to do digital stuff. Um, but more and more, it does seem like those worlds are collapsing, if not already collapsed into each other um, and maybe sort of coming out the other end is like, well, what is traditional TV anymore, uh, especially with everything that's going on right now um, with the pandemic? It seems like, you know, uh, the only places to really play, if there's any places to play, are on these digital streamers. I mean, I, the, the, the first show where I was in a legit writer's room was Glitch Text, which was a Nickelodeon show um, about, it's like sort of a gamer-centric sh show. It's a it's, um, really awesome project with Dan Milano um, and Eric Robles, the creator creators, sort of a Ghostbusters, but if they're fighting video game glitches instead of ghosts. Um, and I was like, okay, here's a Nick, I'm in a, I'm on a Nickelodeon show and here I am in a writer's room on a Nickelodeon show. And it felt like the more traditional path, this could have been my life, you know, had I done, uh, more traditional stuff. And then by the end of that run before they aired, Nickelodeon was like, well, we're now going to distribute everything on Netflix. Um, or actually, no, that's not even how it went. It actually was going to die. The whole show was going to just get canceled. Um, even though they had already paid for two full seasons and had animated two full seasons. And, and, and no joke, uh, it, the, um, the testing was through the roof. Um, kids, 10 out of 10 across the board, all age ranges that they, that they go after. It was just a, it was during that, during a, one of their um, regime shifts over at Nickelodeon, it was going to just fall away. And then luckily we had our EIC who had just gone over to Netflix and she was like, knew how good the show was and like, was like, I'm going to rescue that show and bring it over to Netflix. And she did. And now it just hit the popular list on Netflix. It, it, second season's up and it's doing really well over there. Cool. And so it's like, well, there's a perfect example of how tradi the traditional path or traditional TV would have absolutely failed this project, this, this really excellent project. Um, and digital came to the rescue in, in many ways. Um, and now, I mean, there, there's like a campaign right now to hashtag renew glitch text going on online um, from, from all of our, all the super fans. It's, it, and so it's like, oh, well, will Twitter get us a third season? <laughs> you know, it's, this is, it's absolutely bananas. Um, 
and and it's and it's fun to be a part of it, you know, um, and to have been sort of on the forefront of that in in a, in a lot of ways. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I, to piggyback off that, like I, I think you're right. Like the the boundaries are essentially non-existent. Like the the both from a creative standpoint, in terms because because from you know from from my end, uh, the the two writers' rooms I've been in, I was in two seasons. Uh, my first my first gig as a writer was on a, a show for E called The Arrangement. It was like a soapy Hollywood drama about cults and 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 celebrity. And then I did two seasons on Brockmire for IFC, which is you know super foul mouth stuff about baseball. So right there, I've done both comedy and drama. Um, but I, like, so, and I, I think, you know, five, 10 years ago, it might've been much harder for fill in the blank writer to, to do that. Like you're, you're a comedy writer. So you write comedy, you're a drama writer, you write, you know, and, and it was, and I think even, it was even more specific than that. Like, right. You do hour long dramas about, you know, sports and that's your, that like, that's your wheelhouse or you you, you do raunchy college comedy features and that's all you're ever, we're ever interested in hearing from you. And kind of as the creative boundaries have become more porous, I think the business boundaries have become more porous to, to Sandeep's point. And uh, it seems like there is a, uh, a growing appetite for just like, I don't know, fuck it, content is king. It doesn't, ma- it doesn't matter where it came from or how, or, you know, the auspices as much, even though star fuckery is still great. Uh, <laughs> um, it like the, you know, things, things get second, third and fourth lives uh, um, because of these weird like backdoor, you know, deals. And I think it, the thing that also just an earlier point, I, I, I think the thing that, you know, he's, he, he down downplayed his just like sort of falling into, you know, job after job and everything. But I think the thing that uh, I'll, I'll blow smoke up Sandeep's ass is he uh, about, about that is he's so good with people. And I think he's, He's really formulated a, uh, not formulated, but like formed a, a creative tribe ar- around him and uh, 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 people who are also doing really exciting things on, on their own. And, and there's, there's just a lot of exciting cross-pollination there that if, and, and, and all that to say, if, if I were certainly to pass on any advice uh, is like the business, the business will never, ever make any sense. The only thing that can make sense is you finding people that you like and 100%. who want to work yeah. like that. That's that, that is it. That's kind of the only thing that matters because even if the business shit stays out of reach, you will have buddies, you'll have fucking friends and that's nice. And if the worst thing that happens is like, Oh, you made some, you made some dumb videos and uh, you know, you did some cool shows in a in a Van Nuys backyard, or you know, uh, uh, um, a, a a cool you know, um, like at the empty stage, uh, that's great because man, the 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 holding your breath for the business to have for, holding your breath for there to be a traditional linear path in this business is a sucker's game. It just what just doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, thanks for that smoke up my butt. It feels tremendous yeah sorry uh, <laughs> also the wildfire uh that's currently uh oh went on. maybe that's what i'm feeling yeah that, that actually yeah yeah that you should, actually you, you should look that actually yeah you should definitely check that <laughs> yes we should mention that sandeep is currently uh evacuated uh, having fled the wildfires uh yeah. from a garage in agora hills um so that uh, i think that's live great. from a garage in agora hills <laughs> <Great> hills <laughs> 
Um, so now with code five, when you want, when you were going to sell code five, where did you take it? So here's a, here's a such a good example of the windy, weird road that <laughs> you know that, that you may find yourself on, and this is why, like, you, I just it's so easy to get into the comparison game when you're a writer and a creator and being like, Oh man, they did it that way. Like, why can't we do it that way? It's like everyone's path. I think to making a show is so vastly different. So here's our insane path <laughs> to quote unquote, making a show. And in some ways not making a show. <laughs> yeah. uh, so first we started out with us doing that web series in my driveway. We did 13 episodes um, of us riffing in a car. And we should, and we should clarify when we say episodes, these were not full episodes of TV. They, they, no. were, they were three, like two to five minutes. Mini-sodes, Mini-sodes. Uh, webisodes, yes. whatever you want to call them. The, the idea was for them to be really snacky and, and silly. It was like kind of during the YouTube boom of, of web content. So we're like, yeah, these will just be like fun, stupid little, uh, you can watch them in any order. Um, Andres home came in and did like, uh, he played, he from workaholics and played like a neighborhood watch kid bringing us tacos. We had like, sort of the backseat was like a revolving guest chair in, in a way. I was just, it was like, it's fun, silly format. Um, and we shot it way on the cheap. Um, it was a blast to make. And we thought maybe that's the life of the series. You know, we just, uh, honestly, that was, that was really the, the, the end of it in some ways. And then, for I don't know. I mean, I'm constantly pitching things, right? So, like, at some point, I had pitched this to TBS or talked about it or sent them the videos or something, and they were just starting up their online, um, now defunct YouTube uh, initiative called The Heckler. And so they're like, "Here, we'll license the show because this is the type of content that we that we want." So great, license the show. I used that money to shoot a second season. I paid. We got to pay the crew a little bit, uh, sort of gave everybody full rates off of that, which was kind of nice. Everybody got a, a surprise check in like two years after they made the thing, <laughs> um, which is honestly the most fun thing for me to do. I love doing that. Like just surprising people with like 500 bucks randomly. It's just like, it's the coolest thing. Um, and anyway, um, they, so th- we shot a second season in a motel, which we still haven't released, but uh, oh, actually I guess before that is when we pitched to FX. So at some point we were like, Hey, there's a television format in this. Um, like what's the, what's the long form series of this? I think, I think that's what I did. I, Oh man, my brain is, 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 is I, 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 Do you- I actually am not hundred percent sure either because, but I, I think you're right. I think we ended up doing somehow, but I think just because Ed was involved, it, it, we ended up getting, you know, we, we sat down with AMC. I remember. No, I remember. I remember now. Yeah, no, I had a general at, at at FX and AMC. And then I was like, oh, I have this project. Da, da, da. I told them about it. They're like kind of glazing over or whatever. And I was like, Ed Brubaker. And they're like, <laughs> like, like, and I think Ed was just, he was like kind of just getting in the Hollywood game coming from the comics world, like from Seattle and was kind of just starting to do like, I'm moving to LA and going to do a bunch of TV. And so everybody kind of wanted to work with them. And so I think they're just like, what's that project? Tell us about that. And then, yeah, we set up, that's right. We set up the pitches and Kate Lambert, bless her heart over at FX was like, I love this show slash really want to be in business with Andrew Baker. 
<laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and I think, she, you know, we had a good pitch. It was like fun in the room. And, um, I, you know, she, she's, it was the first time I ever got a pilot deal that also attached us as, as actors. That was really cool. Um, and for a hot minute, we were like, we're going to have a fucking FX show. Like, stop it. Insane. fucking FX show. And then we wrote that FX show. It was yeah. pretty funny. We like it that we did, we did a good job. Notes process went great. And then they were like, almost weirdly quickly, they were like, great. Thank you. We will not be making this show. <laughs> right. <laughs> Absolutely poof. not. Just, just poof, disappeared. Yeah. Uh, yeah and, I think the, and I believe I think the claim was that it was market. They were like, we don't know how to market it slash. We shouldn't have attached to as actors. <laughs> we made a horrible mistake. When we say we don't know how to market it was, we yeah. do not know how to market you. Right. It should have been Kumail and Bill Hader, but. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. And, and For I mean, some reason we tied ourselves to you guys. Kumail and Bill, Bill Hader. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. We, we fucked up by being ourselves is, yeah. is, the, is the issue. I was like, if it's always sunny, can do it. We could do, uh, okay, no, oh, guys, we're, we're oh, not yeah. doing that anymore. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but that, that experience was actually really, really fun. It was great to work. Obviously it's great to work with your friends. Uh, um, but I, I think, I think very often you hear, uh, um, uh, you know, people, people griping about the studio development process and the, and the notes process and everything. And I will say, Kate Lambert's smart and gives great oh, notes. Yes. She's great. She's fantastic. She's great. We, was, we love the was, Kate Lamberts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then here's how this show took another life that almost didn't happen and then didn't happen, is that we, so with this whole interactive thing over at Echo, we were, um, were like, hey, is there an interactive version of Code 5? And then we came up with this idea called Privates, which was essentially us as private detectives and that you would be sort of engaging with the two of us um, to help us solve crimes. Uh, and we wrote a, an interactive pilot for that. So again, we got a little bit of money in our pocket. It never saw the light of day. <laughs> they ended up passing on that. But it's just funny, like it showed and then that concept, um, who knows? I, I feel like we'll be like 60 and finally <laughs> still reselling. How many times? Still reselling this thing. So somehow, somehow no activity will have been, uh, uh, yeah. will, they, everyone will have just forgotten about it. And mm-hmm. they'll be like, you know what we need? No, uh, they'll reboot like, it. And then they'll hire us to do the reboot. Dude, so, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll totally do that. <laughs> so at what point, so, okay, so the, the script that we read was the FX draft? Correct. Correct, yeah. And then at what point, so no activity, for those who don't know, is a show on CBS All Access, right? Is that where that show lives? Yes. Um, which Who fucking cares? With a very similar. Uh, oh, it's uh, the. Oh no, it's the exact. Same it's problem. the exact like, same. Problems. We we cannot we cannot front <laughs> at all. And 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 honestly, like they they I think I think they did a. This not change me, but I think they did a cleaner version of the expansion of the idea, in that they had like three separate uh, uh, sort of stakeouts. Like you follow the cops, but I think you also followed like a a pair of drug dealers and then somebody else, uh, some other little pair. It's like, yeah, that's, that's ah, shit. That's a really good concept. Uh, um, our, our version of it was much more a, uh, at least the, the pilot that, it, that, you know, that you'll have in theory heard was much more of a, uh, just what, a, what, what kind of wacky shit can we get these, these dummies into? Uh, I, we always said it was like a funny true detective. It was like, man, I had forgotten which, about that until you send that log line. I was like, I, fucking good pitch. I it's a good pitch. A funny it's like, true detective is it's like, fun. And you never really know what the case is about. It's, it's just about them like, it, we, we also said this. It was like, 
you know in Law and Order when they're like, all right, now we're gonna have to sift through all these files to find the potential suspect, and then they go dun dun, and then they like, move to the, and then it's like onto the next scene. We're like, we live in the dun duns. Like we're like the episode is us sifting through those files and me finding like my ex-wife's file, and you know she owes me money, and I and I figure out that she's got a bunch of cash, and now let's divert from whatever case we were on to try to get my ex-wife's you know fortune um like like that was what we thought would be fun it's like we're playing in the cop uh detective space but never really about the case it's always about our our minutia and bullshit yeah yeah um, and 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 apparently our pitch of hey you know the boring stuff they cut out of other shows <laughs> we want to do that yeah. <laughs> give us money to do that and for some reason for marketing, some reason for some reason, marketing it. didn't get it. <laughs> well, it half works. They yeah. both work, though. It half yeah. Hey. Uh, then it's like you said, you have no control over that. And you did the, you know, you were, you were writing with your buddies. So it's yeah. like, it, it was a good thing. What do you think now in this moment, um, the future of writing shows about police officers? Yeah. Right. Um, what, a good, what a good question. Uh, I mean, we, and that was what we were wrestling with even doing this show is like, can we like, so first of all, I'm still sitting on season two of the web series and was like, we were just about to release it for the, during the pandemic. I was like, yeah, here's some funny shit that we, you know, I can't sell right now. Let's just entertain the world with a little something. And then everything went down, <laughs> by the way, and then everything went down. Don't you know, and, not even, and then it was like, it, this has been going on forever. It just, then everything came to a head and we we're like, ah, do we really want to be playing cops on online? But, um, so I don't, I don't, I don't know if there's a future for, I don't What, what do you, I don't know. Is there a future my, in writing my, cop my, shows? <laughs> no, I mean, I, 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 this is not an original idea, but, uh, somebody pointed out that after, you know, uh, the fifties and sixties and dragnet and, you know, it was cop, 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 you know, and cops were the heroes. And as, uh, uh, the sixties, you know, uh, you started to see more, uh, growth of counterculture and distrust of authority, all those cop show ideas just pivoted to PIs. And it's like, we, we it, cop shows didn't go away. They, we just sort of put them in like cool shirts and they became, you know, fucking Kojak and Rockford files, uh, um, which are great shows. Um, but, uh, so yeah, I'm curious whether there will be a, a, a shift to that. That's sort of the, the obvious one is to just, you know, put them in a different wrapper. I think what you're going to see is a, a, a growing focus on cops. And that's not necessarily even as the villains, but like, let's look at the stories that are usually told from the cop's perspective and go, go left or, you know, flip that, you know, and, and it will be about the people in the community, uh, uh, the people who, you know, uh, kind of are, are, are living with that. Uh, um, and we'll be, like maybe telling crime uh, from the perspective of the people who are actually kind of like in the midst of it as opposed to outside it reacting to it. Uh, Maybe it's more, it's like more of the shield or sorry, less the shield and more Serpico. Ooh. Like, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. more about the machinations of being a cop and maybe the, the real hard decisions that cops have to face, um, you know, and, uh, and how, and like you said, like how, how it impacts the community and told from multiple perspectives. I could see that, you know, yeah. maybe like, or more of the wire, 
um, yeah, I mean, less, it, you know, Brooklyn Nine Nine. Right. It's, it's, it's but, in comedy. Know. It gets you know tricky. Can you have the lovable buffoonish cops? You yeah. Know, you, could, you know, drama will find a way because you know you can you can get out. You can tackle the issues. Yeah, it, it, it seems a little bit. You know, I haven't envied the people I know over at Brooklyn Nine Nine. Post, you know, George Floyd. It's you know, it, it's a tough spot to be in. Yeah. Um, how, I know, what are you gonna do? Like every episode's a very special episode or something. Like I don't right. even know how you. And even you know, even the Serpico route. That you know, sort of like okay, well, if you're even that, you know, if you're sort of writing about the good apples, that's implicitly saying that's the problem of bad apples, and which you right. know, sort of skirts the whole sort of more systemic issue. Right. Um, yeah. Which, uh, yeah. Which I guess begs the question: is like, how do you? I, I mean, I think maybe The Wire is the only show that leaps to mind that actually did kind of over you know the benefit of five seasons get to tackle literally the systemic nature yeah. because they yeah. eventually it, it wasn't just about cops that we did a whole season on education and how that inter interlocks and uh, 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 the newspapers and you know the mayor docks. Mayor's how are you know, what's going on at the docks uh, <laughs> the docks that's right yeah, yeah I, no hey no, no disrespect um, but season two yeah yeah uh, it is what it is uh, um, uh, uh, but but yeah, I mean, like the the idea of of, of something that ha that is able to have that sort of macro view, um, yeah, I, I I I truly don't know how you would do that in comedy. Let's but some but someone will find a way, and it'll be like I feel like it's the sticky stuff, it's the sticky areas that are the most interesting. Ultimately, mm -hmm. if someone you figure out how to crack them, um, but because it really is, I don't know. To me, it's about like the stories that we tell are, are, um, how, how do I say this without sounding so preachy and annoying, but I feel like, like, well, stories are what separate us from the animals, right? Like humans are the only species uh, that we know of, at least maybe dolphins tell good stories to each other, but I feel like telling story, like us telling stories, telling narratives, um, are, it's, it's almost like self-fulfilling in a way. And so it's always like, you know, even this election is like about, two sides competing with competing narratives, trying to tell their story better. And whoever tells their story better uh, will spread their story like a virus through, through, their, through, through, through enough people to get them in power. So storytelling is so, it's so abundantly powerful. Like, uh, you know, I always feel like, you know, Martin Luther King, Gandhi, all these people, they all just told a better story. Right. And like their stories have stood like the test of time. And that's really, they told the story of equality or of peace or nonviolence or whatever. And like, but they are, they are always up against impossibly or, or, or louder, quicker log line stories of, of like otherism and hatred and stuff like that. Right. And so I think what's happening now, and, maybe, and I'm going to bring it back to the cop thing, which is, you know, we had, we didn't realize what we were doing. We were, a little bit telling the story of uh, the, the narrative that, that was um, uh, uh, like emboldening the police or justifying like, you know, their, their power over um, minority communities and stuff like that, like in a way celebrating, right? Like if you, if you watch like Batman or the shield or whatever, it's always about like, like torture is okay if you really fucking need it. Right. <laughs> and now we're going like, maybe it was never okay. Um, and maybe, um, you know, the, the, 
like the, the communities that they were policing um, needed a bigger voice. And we need to tell those stories more than we needed to tell these cop stories. And so I think that maybe that's where the shift will, will come. And that's why it's like cool to be in these creative communities that tend to be progressively minded is like, now it's, a, it's incumbent upon us to, to fight the fight from that angle and be like, let's tell the better story now. And let's come up with the way, you know, uh, to, 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 to not just step back from what's happening during these times and say, it's too scary. Let's not, let's not get our, you know, hands wet. It's, you know, we don't want to get canceled or whatever. And then like, no, it's actually incumbent upon us to go like, no, let's figure out how to lean in and, 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 you know, tell stories in a way that promote the, the way we want the world to be shaped. And soapbox rant. No, amen. That's great. Um, so I, I know you gave a little bit of advice to, you know, Mel, you were talking about it's what you would say to someone coming up is, you know, find your community, find your friends that you like making stuff with. Um, Sandeep, anything to add or either of you, we have a lot of, you know, aspiring writers that listen to the show. You guys have had a really interesting path through all of this. Um, you know, you know, what do you think someone who wants to be in this, you know, part of this world in this business, what do you say to them? I, I already did my rant. So what, what, what about, what about you, Sandeep? Oh, well, I mean, I can't think of better advice than find your crew, right? Like, like find your people. Um, that, 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 that always was my, my focus in a way was like, I want to surround myself with folks that I just love being around the Mel Cowens of the world to blow smoke back in his the direction. Mel Cow Find your Mel Cowens. You know, I said that before I met you. It was so weird. I just, <laughs> I, I, you, I you dreamt just your name. Your Mel Cowen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's true. I, you know, I think um, if that's the, the one, the one lesson that I have is um, there were lots of times in my life that I feel like I, whenever I was like gaming a little bit and I was like scheming, you know, like trying to figure like, Hey, what, what's in it for me? Or I don't know if this deal is the right deal or am I getting screwed out of something? And like, or, uh, or worried that like my idea is going to get stolen. Like anytime that I came from a place of like fear or, you know, um, uh, there's scarcity. no way to say it than, than fear. Like uh, a scarcity mindset. A scarcity mindset. Thank you. It never, it never worked out. If I, if I, whenever I pivoted to these are good people and I just want to be working with these good people, it has come back to bless me in many, many fold. Um, the only reason I got an episode of community and got to be in community was not because I had a great agent who like, submitted me, blah, blah, blah. It's because I did a bunch of work on Channel 101, a bunch of free unpaid work for Channel 101 for funsies to, to just learn. And Dan Harmon remembered me. And when he needed an Indian, was like, let's get that Sundeep kid. <laughs> um, and that's, you know, he was like, he literally was like, yeah, you know, Aziz was busy. So, <laughs> and I'm like, great, I'll be happily be your second you know, second in line to Aziz, but it's always like, yeah, I just, just, you know, half my, not half, probably 90% of my crew on Legend of Neil was folks that I'd met at Channel 101 or the empty stage. Um, and we just, and then these are the, these are the Felicia days of the world. The, 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 um, the folks that inevitably do become successful. Uh, and I feel like you start to 
pull each other up because ultimately who does anybody want to work with? They want to work with their friends. They want to work with people that they can trust, who's, who's going to do the job well, but they also just want to be around. Um, so focus on being it, that yeah. person rather than, uh, and, and, and being a good person to people rather than being better than or trying to cut above or. Yeah. If, if, you, want, want the, if you want the, the bumper sticker version of that, it's don't be a dick. Don't just, just, just don't be a dick. And, and like the, the, that if, if you, if you start kind of just making that your, your, your mantra, your, you know, your, your, what would Jesus do kind of, kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, don't be a dick in, in most, uh, if not all of your interactions, it just, the shit gets easier, you know, uh, um, because it, it, uh, being a dick comes from exactly what he's talking about that this, this, this feeling of, uh, uh, kind of clawing your way forward, you know, it's jealousy, it's, it's competition. It's, it's that scarcity mindset and it always manifests itself in, in negative ways. Uh, and if you, so, so, and, and I mentioned that to sort of distinguish it from it, you know, the, the standard version is that you may, you got to network, you got to make connections. You always got to be out there. And it's like, I, yeah, yes. You know, it, of, of course it, it, it helps to uh, uh, meet people and you know, it, it is a people centric business. So I'm not going to say that, that that's not useful, but I think there, it, it's important to draw a distinction between like just going to a bunch of fucking mixers and like getting phone numbers or whatever. And actually like, no, hey, what, like, do you need me to, like, lug coolers for your web series this weekend? Fuck yeah, I'll do that. Like, do you, do you need someone to run sound? Yes, I, I can do that, or I know a guy who can do that. Like, uh, um, you know, the, 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 um, those tangible, like, let's help each other kind of things are, are, are so much more meaningful and useful and, and long-term. And I think you will absolutely see things that come out of them that more so much more so than that rando that you that you know is an assistant to a, a guy who's someone else's assistant that you met in an assistant mixer uh um you know uh the the i mean yeah like meeting meeting ed was was it was a chance thing because i was friends and then but then like i i lost contact with ed for you know a couple of years and then just went to a, a signing of his and was like Hey, do you like remember Andy? And you remember me? And then we went out for drinks afterwards, and you know, uh, became became buddies again. But like, it, it's it's because it's just because you you, uh, you 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 connect with people rather than like try to get something out of them. Yeah, it's like d don't focus on making LinkedIn connections. Focus on making friendships. Yeah. <laughs> I think is is the key. Yeah, uh, and then it's persistence. Just sticking it out. <laughs> You know, takes, yeah. takes 10, 15, 20 years sometimes. Yeah, I've been, um, yeah, for, for reference, I've been here since 2002. Uh, uh, two, I don't know, we're like, when, when, did you, when did you move here? 2004. Yeah. Uh, uh, and like, I got my first W, like I got into the WGA after really that having been in, like, th this is what I want to do even more than acting. Like acting was sort of a, an accidental thing. Uh, um like I got into the guild in 2016, something like that. Is that right? I anyway, like relatively recently in my, my time here. So I like, I was 
write and write and write and write and write and, uh, uh, and, and writing a lot of comedy. And then the thing that got me my agent and my first job was a drama. So again, it all kind of goes back to that, like, you don't know what you're doing. You don't <laughs> fucking know. It's, uh, um, the thing that, that, that you were busting your ass on uh, um, might not be the thing. It might be this, this accidental thing that honestly got better because, and, and this, it is a good example. It got better because of a, like a friend helped me develop and, you know, uh, got, you know, uh, got me into the right person that got me the, the, the job. Um, so yeah, yeah. It's, it's not a straight line. No, I think this is great advice. Hopefully Time's a flat circle. People really. Um, yeah. Time's a flat circle. Just to it, bring all, it, back it all comes back to McConaughey, man. It all comes back to McConaughey. Um, no, it's, uh, people hopefully take that to heart. Cause I think it's, it's very wise. And, uh, you guys have proven right all of those imaginary people I made up who said nice things about you. Mm. Uh, I knew it. 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 <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, Let us read it. And it was great to talk to you both. And Sandeep, I hope the, the fires get contained and you get to uh, get back home soon. Yeah, I hope not just for yeah. me. I hope yeah, for everyone in the state. Yeah. Um, for sure. Thank, well, thank you uh, guys for bringing the, sh- the the pilot to life. That was so fun. It was it just so cool to see it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Get it read by funny people. And yes, it was awesome. So thank you. Yeah, Thanks for having us. Thank you guys so much. That is our show for this month. Dead Pilot Society is produced by me and my co-host, Ben Blacker, and our associate producer, Noah Findling. So follow us on social media. Uh, to find out about upcoming shows and all of that. We're on Twitter at Dead Pilots Pod and on Instagram at Dead Pilots Society. Uh, If you like the show, leave us a review. Um, That really helps. And uh, everybody stay safe out there. Find a way to help someone. Be nice to yourself. Wear a mask and we will get through this. Until next time, I'm Andrew Reich. Thank you so much for listening.